Welcome to another episode of the Mindset Athlete Podcast with me, James Roberts, transformational coach, two-time Paralympian, and TEDx speaker. I have another awesome episode for you today, so let's get straight into it. And on today's show, I've got Thomas Williams. Thomas's passion is coaching athletes on the inevitable transition to life beyond the scoreboard. His mantra, athletes are great people first, who are just so happen to be great athletes. Greatness may have started with sports, but it doesn't end when you retire. Greatness is a lifestyle. Thomas serves by teaching athletes about character and leadership. His nonprofit Pursuits of Greatness helps athletes prepare for life after their playing career by providing custom suits. This, this symbol of professionalism represents a new uniform that an athlete has, has retired and in transitioning to their life of greatness. In 2008, Thomas graduated from USC with a degree in sociology. Nicknamed the Hitman, Thomas was captain of USC's football team where he, he and his teammates won two national championships, three Rose Bowls. He was selected 55th overall in the 2008 NFL Draft. Thomas played five years in the NFL where he, he was not just focused on winning and competing, but teamwork, mental, toughness, and leadership. After a career-ending neck injury, Thomas transitioned from a game changer to a life changer. He will now join us to help tackle obstacles and find a winning solution. So welcome on to the show, Thomas. James, thanks so much, man. I'm, I'm excited to get on with you and to impact. That's my, it's my pleasure. Um, and let's talk straight off the bat. Obviously, you were two national championships and three Rose Bowls. And we're talking off air before we, we started. For those that obviously don't know of the USC Trojans and ultimately the sanctions that were then imposed on your team, talk to us about what it was like being one of those members within the team. Yeah. Now, one of the things, I mean, you think about, uh, you know, any anytime somebody talks about the definition of winning and anybody talks about what is it like to be the top and the best, and that's exactly what we were at USC. Um, you know, going there as an 18 year old freshman, um, they had just started to kind of start to gain momentum and starting to win where they just won 11 and two the year before. And then I get there with my teammates and the teammates who came after me, it was just like win after win after win. I, I'll give you a perfect example. When I graduated and left college, I lost six games in five years, in wow. five years. And by a total of 17 points. Like, so you think about six games, a total of 17 points. So we weren't getting beat by 10 and 15 and 20 and 30 points. We lost all those games by a culmination of 17 points. And so every single week, you know, I love, I love the athlete's mindset because every single week we took the best punch from every single team because we were top, we were king of the mountain. We had the, the, the target on our backs. People were hunting us down and trying to get us to, to, you know, dethrone us, so to speak. And it was one of the greatest experiences because you couldn't slack off on your preparation before your performance, before your matches, before your games. And you couldn't slack off on, you know, in the game and you couldn't think that you were, you know, just because you were on the best team that you're going to win every single game. James, we had some of the best players on our team that were in the country. So it's not that you couldn't slack off in the game because you didn't want to lose to your opponent. You couldn't slack off in practice because you didn't want to lose your slot to your backup. And so we had guys who were second string uh, backup players in college who actually played in the NFL. We had guys who were third stringers 
who played in the NFL. I mean, there were guys who were the best players in the country who were fourth string. And so what it taught me there in college um, was not just necessarily it's what you do on game day, but it's about the preparation that leads up to game day. And then I get drafted um, and had a five-year NFL career in the NFL um, and unfortunately had a neck injury. But I would say that some of the things that I still live through and with and carry with me today all stem from that time at USC, whether it's being a great teammate, being a great counterpart, you know, performing under pressure, performing in front of people, you know, the 100,000 people who are there watching you at the stadium um, and millions of people who are watching you around the country. It's just calls for you to be an elite performance. And I think that's what carries me still to this day. You know, I tell people all the time, I don't tackle people anymore. Um, and, but I never stopped being an athlete. I never stopped being an athlete. And, you know, one of the problems I see with a lot of former, you know, collegiate and professional athletes is that you let yourself go. You lose that athlete mindset. You lose the dominating, you know, the competitor inside of you, somebody who wants to win at all costs and who's going to prepare as if their life depends on it. Um, and it's unfortunate because a lot of times I think that we, ex we expect greatness in our sport, but we accept mediocrity in life. And so uh, that's why I'm so pumped up to talk to you, man, about, about the athlete's mindset. So talk to me about that, that, that transition then from ultimately, you know, your, your greatness and, and winning at all costs. Obviously, I, I, I disagree with it in some contexts and depends on what the person means by win at all costs. But why do you think that when the athlete transitions into, quote unquote, the real world, as most yeah. people will put it, they accept mediocrity. Is it because ultimately that's what they see that's surrounded by themselves? So what I have to, I have to just adjust because the, the competitive, competitive nature of where I've come from is ultimately looked badly upon. Do you think it's, it's, it's that transition or is that, am I putting words into your mouth? No, no, no. So great question. And, and again, thanks for helping me understand. So I'll clarify when I say win at all costs means that you're going to do everything you can. You're going to get your proper rest. You're going to be the first one in the weight room. You're going to be the first one on the practice field. You're going to study your opponent. You're not just going to just show up on game day and just go, oh, whatever happens in the next four quarters happens. They, so win at all costs means that you're going to put your entire being. That's, that's what I meant by that. As far as what I think what happens with um, athletes who transition is that when you're done being being on a team, you're done being coached. We, we, we have all been coached by great leaders, you know, whether it was at eight years old, your coach, or whether it was at 30 years old in your coach, but we've all had been a part of great teams. And so those coaches tell us what to watch for when we watch film. They put us in great positions when they, they design a, a practice schedule. They, they tell us, you know, hey, you should have did this on that play or you should have did that. And then when we're done playing, we don't have somebody in our ear telling us what to do anymore. And so that's why I think because we've been so good at being coachable our whole life, we don't have the great coaches when we're done playing like we did when we were playing. Some of these coaches that I played for, you know, I played for Bill Belichick, who coaches the New England Patriots. I played for Pete Carroll in college, who's the head coach of Seattle uh, Seahawks. Ken Norton Jr., who's the defensive quarter of Seattle Seahawks, you know, playing for uh, Jack Del Rio, like I've played for some phenomenal coaches and they've always put us in a really good position on the field to be successful. They told us how to lift weights. They told us what time we should eat at. They told us how much we should weigh. I mean, there were so many things that were done for us and being in place and they just showed us 
Hey, show up at this time, give a hundred percent of your mind, give a hundred percent of your presence in your being, and you'll be successful. And so the only thing we had to do is show up and do what the expert said, right? We had people who told us what to eat, what time to eat. It's like, you think about that. Then when you get out of playing sports, you don't have anybody who tells you if you should make your bed or not. Like you, you just don't have anybody. And so trying to find out you know, that schedule and that routine and keeping yourself accountable when you're done playing is one of the hardest things. Why it was so easy to stay accountable? Because if I show up on your team one day, or if I show up on your team to a game and I'm unprepared, you're going to let me have it. You're going to tell not only me, you're going to tell the other players, you're going to tell the coach, get him out of here. He doesn't know what he's doing. And me, because of the human beings in the way that the mind is con- you know, conditioned, you know, banishment is the one of the hardest things that we can ever conceptualize. And so we never want to be left out in the loan. And we don't want somebody to point us out and say, hey, you're wrong. You're bad. You didn't do it right. So for me, I'm going to change it. The next time we go out on the field, I'm going to make sure James doesn't come to me that way. James is going to go, hey, you're prepared. You're ready. You've practiced your condition. Let's go. So that's where that uh, accountability aspect comes in. And we don't have it anymore when we're done playing. And I think that's one one of the reasons why we accept mediocrity when we're done playing. Um, and another point I want to add is because being in the locker room or being on the bus or being on the field or the court, whichever your sport was, is that we compared ourselves to our teammates. And if our teammates were really good, then we stepped up and we wanted to become really good as well. Now, when everyday life, when we're done playing, our comparison pool isn't the same. There's people who are just okay with being mediocre. And so if you hang around nine mediocre people, I promise you, you're going to be the 10th one. And instead of, hey, I'm hanging around nine overachievers, I'm going to become the 10th one. So it's basically the same similar thing and the same thing there as it was when you played, when you're not playing. So you got to be careful of who you're hanging around. Do you think this is a good thing when you're able to and I'm talking when we talking, you talked about the aspect of competition, delving back into the past. I'm not talking about living past dreams. I'm talking about using experience of is most, you, you ultimately, you, you said you only lost six games in five years, but that adversity of those six losses is going to stem you in, in good tide now in the present, because ultimately there's a lot to be learned from those losses. Cause Ultimately, I, I would put USC of that era of probably Miami in the 80s, University of Miami, Correct. of ultimately it was uh, uh, one man, re- not, not one, but one wrecking crew, but ultimately uh, it had a swag about it. it, it the, the programmers were the top ones. Come knock us off if you, if you can. But the, the point I'm making, Thomas, is society views that as bad of ultimately if you're living past glories you need to kind of wake up and, and, and smell the roses and live in the present but i think where and this is where i think i come to the fore in in, in my day-to-day job now as a coach is the the people that you you speak to normally of i don't know i don't know what that looks like they haven't got like a recall mechanism to be able to call upon of a, in this case, a, a successful occasion, ultimate you and I can do for whatever the, 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 the example would be of a success story 
or this is where I've faced an adverse moment, but I overcame it doing this, that, or the other. Man, such a good point. So this, this, this applies for athletes and this applies for non-athletes. Um, most of our decisions are based off of our past experience. I think I can do something like, I'll give you a perfect example. Um, uh, I'm, 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 I'm not afraid to cold call an employer to get a job because in the past I've gotten four or five jobs based off of cold calling employers. So when I call them, I know that there's a chance that I can succeed. Same thing goes to the athletes. When I go through an adverse situation and an obstacle, I haven't lost every game that I was losing in the first half. I've actually won more games that I was losing in the first half than I've lost. Now I have a, a, a brain brainwave that tells me that an obstacle in the past can actually become a highlight in the future. But if I've only lost in past experiences, then I'm probably not gonna wanna look at past experiences as any indication of what the future can bring. But if I have success in the past of a similar obstacle, then I know that that can breed success and I can actually become victorious in it. One of the things, and, and this is just outside of life, is that growing up without my father in my life, I had abandonment issues. So I felt that if I got close to you or if you got close to me, you're only getting close to me to leave me. So anytime I felt the emotion of, I like this, this is exciting, this is really good. Anytime I felt that, I automatically started to self-sabotage and I kicked you and pushed you away. And therefore, I could never find a, you know, um, platonic relationship or romantic relationship that would suit me because each time it felt comfortable, close, I liked it, I liked the other person, I would kick them and push them away. Now, once I was able to get over that and knowing that my father, the relationships in my life don't all appear like my father, then I was starting to attract people and I started to becoming comfortable with people who made me feel good, who I liked to hang around, who I enjoyed their company. I didn't put that onus on them. I found out that I had scars, emotional scars from the past. And that's what was dictating my present, which was impacting my future. It wasn't until I forgave my father and said, that's your issues, has nothing to do with me. I actually like the feeling of liking the people who I'm spending time with. It wasn't until that, then I was able to get into romantic relationships. And now I'm engaged and I don't have the abandonment issues in letting those things affect me. And so when we're athletes, um, the thing about it is that our real-time response and results were happening all the time. So we were playing once a week, a couple of times a week. So we knew that we could test our hypothesis and our theories. Unfortunately, if you're a non-athlete, you don't have those high performance moments. So you can't necessarily test your hypothesis all the time. You have quarter checks, maybe annual checks. Um, maybe you have a birthday, maybe you have something, but there's not a constant self-evaluation. In sports, you're constantly self-evaluating what worked, what didn't work. So the reason why I, I, I don't like to take on the notion of people saying don't live in your past is because your past taught you a lot. This mm -hmm. is what worked, this is what didn't work. If it worked, keep doing it. Try it in a new setting. Try, try what you did on the football field or in the weight room in life. Maybe it doesn't work, okay? Maybe you adjust it. 
because as the principle, we understand that there's certain principles and there's certain laws that work. If I throw something up in the air right here on earth, it's going to come down. It doesn't matter if it's a basketball, if it doesn't matter if it's a cell phone, it doesn't matter if it's a computer. If I throw it up, it's got to come down. Now, for me, being on a football field, the angrier I was throughout the course of the week, the better I played on, the, on game day. So I would create um, moments of dysfunction, of again, self-sabotage, because as soon as I would show up on game day, I would be angry, I would be violent, I would be emotional. And that which makes up for a great football player. So when I'm showing up and I'm angry and I'm pissed off because uh, somebody hit my car and didn't leave a note, my girlfriend broke up with me at the beginning of the week. I got an F on a test. Um, I was, you know, late paying my bills and, you know, I had eviction notices, whatever it was. You show up and now you're, that works for you. Now, when I go to the game, I'm going to be, I'm going to be balls out to the wall and I'm ready to play. Now, in life, being a motivational speaker, being an author, being an adjunct professor, even though I want success, I can't do it that way. So those same outcomes or those same uh, variables would lead to a different outcome. If I was angry in my new profession, I would push people away. I would push my fiance away. I wouldn't be a good friend. But what did that teach me? That taught me of, hey, whatever it takes for you to get into prime peak mental state is what's going to have to do for you. So for me, the same thing again, when we're playing football, we're playing basketball, you're playing your sport, any sport, study your opponent. The more you study your opponent, Thomas, during the week, the better you are on game day. Ah, so when I become a motivational speaker, and when I'm talking to an audience, the more I study my audience and my client, the better prepared I am become game day, so to speak. So talk to me, Thomas, then the nickname, because obviously, as you, you, you alluded to, uh, you, you, you retired probably long before concussions protocols came into play. <laughs> Were you virtually intent just to knock somebody out of the game? Every single time, James, when I tell you, man, my prime objective was to inflict the pain that I was experiencing emotionally and mentally on a person physically. So I used to love it. I didn't even want to make a play on the ball. I just wanted to inflict pain. But I did that ever since I was a kid. I used to get kicked out of recess on the playground because I would throw the tether ball at someone's head or because <laughs> we play kickball and I'm, you know, you're supposed to tag them out on their body and I'm throwing it at their head, trying to knock them out. We're playing two hand touch. I'm playing tackle. You know, I'm supposed to slide into the bases. I'm running people over. That's just used to be in my DNA. That's nature for me. And so I got the nickname, the Hitman when I was in my second year at USC just because whether you had the ball or you didn't have the ball, hell, you could have even been my teammate, James, and I was still going to hit you. Everybody who had shoulder pads, cleats, and a helmet on the football field was getting hit. And my main objective was to make you feel – my main objective was to make you honestly remember me for weeks or months to come. I actually uh, – I broke a kid's jaw when I was in high school on the football field, and – um, people still talk about it to this day and I'm 36 years old. So half my life ago, more than half my life ago, when I was 17, I broke a kid's jaw on the football field and people still talk about it. Um, but I would say that that name, it doesn't, again, that doesn't serve me now. 
I'm, I'm, I'm the nicest human being in most polite, cordial, social. Um, but when we're playing football, nobody on the field is going to be more aggressive, more aggressive and more physical than me. And that's just, again, where you show up um, on in life is, is, you know, a big reflection of who you are. And so I got to, I got to say, you know, I play the, I play for the name on the front of the Jersey, but I represent the name on the back. And Williams to me um, means a lot to me. Uh, the legacy that I've built for the people who are still to come. I have a, I have a nine month daughter, a daughter who's nine months right now. And uh, I played for her before she even got here. I have a fiance who's going to wear my last name and I have children to come that are going to carry my last name. And so everything that you do when you step into that, whether you're going to work at a day job in an office, whether you're going to play sports, whether you're showing up to be a partner for your significant other or a parent, you show up with all of your might, all of your energy, because that's exactly how you'll be remembered. Um, and it doesn't matter what your job is, but it matters your effort and how you carry yourself in doing that job. Do you think you could have adjusted to, to, to the, to the, the limits on which the defenses are put upon now then, or do you think you would have adapted? Um, I think there's a, there's, there's a hard, there's a couple of things. One, the game has, has evolved, I think three or four revolutions since I've gone, since I've left, like the game has just, it's taken a turn once then twice, then three, I feel like there's been four turns. So I, I don't think I would be able to, now, obviously if I would have still played, I would have been able to keep up with the gameplay when it comes to the rule changes and, you know, the way that safety is coming into play, the way that, um, you know, flags and penalties are being thrown for over aggressive play. I think I would have had a hard time adjusting that. And only because the way that I learned how to play the game of football at a young age was to be physical it was, you know, the most physical one was the most feared and everybody played to get respect and to be feared. And so I think if I'm trying to change my game at 30 years old, I've played football since I was six. And so you're telling me that there's 24 years of ingrained conditioning training to go and do this a certain way. It would have been hard. It's, it's just like this. I, every time I go, every time I travel, and people are driving on the opposite sides of the road. I always put myself in the position of, I wonder if I could drive. And the reason, and, and the answer is, of course I could. It would just take me a really long time to adjust. Why? Because I learned the very first time I learned how to drive, we drove on the right side of the road. And my, you know, the steering wheel and the driver's seat was on the left side of the car and the stick shift was in the middle. So I'm using my right hand. If you're telling me to swap that, it's going to take me a really long time. I appreciate your honesty in, in that. And do you, do you think that's why the defenses are playing still a little bit of catch up? Because you're talking about decades worth of conditioning. Yeah. So I, in my personal opinion, I think that the NFL is doing a better job. Um, obviously when you get penalized and when you get fined, you're going to start to change your actions. Uh, when they start taking money away from you because you're doing things, you're going to, you're going to step back and say, Hmm, I wonder if there's a different way I can do this and get the same result. So I feel like that. I also think that the coaches um, have gotten older and the old coaches have gotten, you know, 
just retired and transitioned outside of coaching. So there's a new coaching staff. There's a new coaching um, style. So as the coaches are teaching the players who are younger, hey, this is how we tackle now. This is how we block now. This is how we do this now. Then it's a lot easier. But if you have an old coach who's trying to teach an old player new tricks, you're going to run into some, some conflict there. But as the NFL evolves, as the, the players in college, high school, and at the peewee level, uh, which is for the kids who are, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11 years old, as they're starting to transition their way of thinking, their tackling mechanics, um, then I think it's easier for the game to now say, this is the new normal, as opposed to people having old patterns and old ways trying to conform to the new ways. So if we re- rewind a little bit, Thomas, you talked to you talked to, to us and, and shared a story of you, you broken a kid's jaw in, in high school. Being now that you're a motivational speaker and have moved away from sports somewhat, yeah, does that trouble you a little bit that some people obviously that you grew up with still talk about that? Um, no, not at all, because it's you know, when in Rome. Do as the Romans, you know, and, and if, if you're no one's on the football field uh, trying to be polite, nice and, you know, offer, you know, nice gestures. The game is called for physical contact, for you to be extremely aggressive, uh, for you to tackle a human being down um, by any means necessary. I don't, I don't bother that. I'm actually on the opposite side of that, proud of myself for being able to make such a a drastic transition because life has tried to throw so many things at me that's tried to get me to go back to that old way of thinking. This is just who you are, whether it's been something that someone has said, whether it's somebody that has physically touched me and then having to restrain yourself, or it's been just the way that life is when you get frustrated, you can't act out. That was when I was a little kid, when I was a little boy, I would act out because you hurt my feelings or because you, you put a kick me sign on the back of my shirt or because you stole my pencil and my crayon from kindergarten. I would punch you. But like one of my favorite books in the scriptures says, you know, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, understood as a child and thought like a child. But when I became a man, I put away those childish ways. And so as I become a man, and again, a leader of my household, being a father and understanding that accountability for every single person that's watching me in my household and outside of my household, I understand that I can't act those ways. So when people either mention that or bring that up, I say, wow, look how far I've come. You know, the transition from being a current athlete to a former athlete isn't just your job and maybe your uniform. It's actually your mindset as well. How you think the same things that I used to think of when I used to play baseball and play football, I don't think that way anymore because I'm no longer trying to become the pinnacle of professional sports. I'm trying to become the pinnacle of motivation, becoming an author, becoming an adjunct professor. I'm becoming these things that don't necessarily need for me to do anything physically. Instead of my physical power so far after transitioning, I'm so hyped and and, and excited about developing, working on my mental power. The willpower that I learned in sports and the discipline that I learned in sports and the routine that I learned in sports is actually serving me well outside of sports where 
I don't get paid to be physical. Therefore, if I'm not being paid to be physical, then we don't need to be physical. I don't have anything to prove. I'm not, I'm not trying to be the tough guy, the toughest guy in the street, or when I'm driving my car, I'm trying to uh, uh, impose my will on somebody else because that's what I used to do. I got paid for that. I really was at the pinnacle of professional sports in a physical sport. So no longer do I need to do that anymore. What calls for me now is to be mentally strong, not physically, to be mentally strong. Because as we're seeing in 2021, going all the way back a year now, you know, people need to be mentally tougher because those muscles that we develop in the gym, the gyms aren't open anymore. The, uh, you know, all of the, uh, the biceps and the legs and the calves and the strong body parts, we don't need those right now. That can't help us get out of this um, pandemic. But you know what can? The mental toughness that it took to build those muscles, the resiliency that it took to continue to show up, the routine and the disciplines that it took for us to properly eat, properly train and keep pushing through, even though we were supposed to do eight reps, we did 10. Those are the things that can help us now. And those are the things that I'm constantly telling people and teaching about, because if, if you can make it through, I tell people this all the time, if you can make it through a double day in training camp, you can make it through another day in a quarantine. You can make it through another day when your boss is telling you something you don't want to hear. You can make it when even your friends, family members, coworkers are talking to you about some stuff where you just want to turn to them, look at them and say, man, you know what? Shut up. You can make it through another one of those days. But it's all because of the mental resiliency that you built before. I tell people this and, and, you know, sharing, sharing, you know, is what we're trying to do and being able to give some practical tools is people are going to pay of one or two places. You're going to pay at the beginning. And what that's going to look like is sacrifice, obedience, uh, diligence, a routine, or you're going to pay on the backside. And that's going to look like regret. I should have, could have, would have. I wish I wish I would have taken, taken school seriously on the front half, but I don't, have a, I don't have an education. I don't have a degree. Therefore, I don't have a job. Ah, I wish I would have done that. I wish I would have listened to my coach when he was telling me that I should stretch after every practice, that I should show up early, that I should work hard while I'm there and while I should stay late because I ended up leaving sports. I didn't learn what sports was supposed to teach me. And now I've never built up the character to overcome adversity. So we're gonna pay one of two places. And a wise man once said, Thomas, you would rather pay at the beginning to reap the rewards at the end than to party at the beginning and still suffer the, the regrets at the end. I appreciate that share, Thomas. Talk to us then of, of the, the, the sacrifices of, of making it to USC because ultimately you probably had hundreds upon hundreds of offers from other schools. Yeah. What, the, the, what, you know, what, it's stu- the, what stood out for you then for that? It was, it's super simple, James, you know, uh, early in, in life, I found this, this thing out to be true. Find out what other people aren't willing to do who are chasing the same thing you're chasing and master that. And I'll give you a quick short story is after a football game one night, uh, our, our high school coach told us all to go home and do a hundred pushups. And 
we were all tired. We were exhausted. We had homework that night. We had to eat. We had to shower. We had to wake up and go to school the next day. But I did it. I got down in the living room. My mom was watching TV and I did my 100 push-ups. It might have been 10 sets of 10 at the time because I'm you know, 13 years old and I didn't have any muscle. And I finally got to my 100. I went to bed. I woke up and I felt sore from the football game the night before and sore from my push-ups. And I went to school and I was talking to my friends and they were telling me, you know, we were talking about what happened last night. How did we lose the game? You know, what girls are pretty, what we're going to do for lunch, everything else. And then I finally asked, I said, which one of you guys did the push-ups?" I looked at my boy. He was like, man, I did 50. I looked at another one of my friends were like, I did 20. Other friend was like, I didn't do any. Coach isn't going to check. And out of all my friends in that circle that day, I was the only one who did the 100 push-ups. And I was like, that's it. Because all my friends in that same circle wanted to play college football. They wanted to play in the NFL. They wanted to make a whole bunch of money. But they, didn't, they weren't willing to do what the coach told us to do. You know, I've learned this, and I think it's quoted, and I don't know who said it, but people are rewarded in public for what they've practiced for years in private. And the thing about that is, is that in private, I didn't win a scholarship that day at 14. I didn't even win. And then I started doing push-ups every night. So I would do 100 every night, and then I got to 200. Then I worked my way all the way up to 500 push-ups a night. So I came into college at like 235 pounds, 6'2". Like I was, I, was, I was in the best shape of my young adult life. And I didn't earn that scholarship that night. I didn't earn the scholarship the next night. But if you take what I did from that day, from the time I graduated high school, that's when I earned the scholarship. It's all about the compound effect. It's not about what you do once. It's about what you do consistently, and it's about who you become over time. And so that's the piece of advice that I give to a lot of young athletes. That's the piece of advice I give to a lot of young entrepreneurs. What is it going to take for me to crack through? It's going to take for you to sit there and do something you don't want to do. And you have to do it every single day because willpower, just like a bicep, just like a, just like a, a tricep is a muscle. We start out with a certain amount, but if we keep working it, our willpower gets stronger. Once we stop the willpower, just like muscle atrophy kicks in, we don't have any more of it. Thanks for the share, Thomas. Uh, my penultimate question to you before we wrap up the episode then is if you had to sit down with any athlete, dead or alive for that matter, who would that be and why? Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali. I'm asking Muhammad Ali one question. What ma- I'm asking two questions. What made you use, like who told you about using your platform in the sport of boxing to help mankind? So who and what was that conversation like? Because I want to know what made it click for him. He used boxing to have an impact in the world where so many other people use their sport to have an impact for themselves. He didn't use his platform for him. He used his platform to get people from POW camps. He used his platforms for social injustice, for social injustice and inequality. He also used his platform to make people believe. One of his things that he, I loved about Muhammad Ali is that he always tried to get people to smile. And if you think about it, he's a boxer, he's a fighter. Boxers and fighters aren't supposed to get people to smile. Whether you were a kid, whether you were an adult, 
He sensed you. He saw you. He made people feel that they were important. And so I want to ask him those questions um, because I believe that whether you're an athlete or not, that's all of our purposes, to have that kind of impact, to have that kind of drive, to say, if there's something I can do for the person to the left or to the right of me, then that's what I'm going to do. And my final question, if you had to summarize what we were speaking about today into one sentence for people to take away, what would that be? Your job, whether you're an athlete or not, does not define you, but it's about the skills that you obtain in your job or in your sports that make you who you are. Whether you're wearing a jersey, whether you're wearing a suit, whether you're wearing a hoodie, greatness is inside of you and not what you wear. So once again, Thomas, thanks again for coming on the Mindset Athlete Podcast. James, thank you so much, man. And I thank you for the impact that you're making, not only for the people who know you, but for the people who are around the world who listen to you and that need you. Appreciate that. Thanks again for tuning in. And I hope you enjoyed this episode and got loads from it. Anything that was included and discussed will be available in the show notes below. And I would love to hear from you. Come and connect and ask your questions. I've been James Roberts from jamesowenroberts.com. Remember this quote by Chris Hoth. An athlete is a mindset. It's how you prepare, think, and execute, not by some elite status or physical stature. Anybody can be an athlete. <laughs>